James Lawrenson, Deputy Director of the Australia-China Relations Institute at the University of Technology, Sydney. Welcome to the ACRI podcast. Today I'm joined by Udo Doring. He's the CEO and Executive Officer of Auscham Shanghai. Auscham's uh, mission is to strengthen Australia-China business, government and community relationships. And of course, ACRI is about illuminating the Australia-China relationship. Um, so talking to Udo is a great opportunity for us and also I think it'll be very much of interest to our listeners. Now, Udo, before you were the CEO of Auscham, you're also the General Manager of Auscham for five years. Is that correct? That's right. And before this, you worked in a number of roles. I'm particularly see, happy to see you worked in a number of roles in the Queensland government. That's exactly right. Proud um, Queenslander with Trade and Investment Queensland. There you go. Um, and of course, I'm a proud Queenslander as well. So we've got a lot in common there before we even get started on our discussion. I think we've just lost a lot of listeners. <laughs> Okay, today what we're going to be doing is discussing the business environment in China, particularly from an Australian perspective. Um, so Udo, I spend a lot of my time reading about um, US business concerns, mm. EU business concerns. Um, today we're really going to drill into the Australian business concerns, um, which you're ideally placed to comment on. Let's um, maybe kick off with a very simple question. What's business like in Shanghai these days? So I, I look, we, we're we're very fortunate to be in a situation where business is is, is very good. So, as as you you mentioned briefly at the, the top of the, the the podcast, we're we're um, the peak body for Australian business. So our our mandate is trade and investment, and to support trade and investment between Australia and China, and very specifically support Australian businesses coming into China. So, um, we've seen consecutive years of growth for the five years that I've been um, at the chamber in in Shanghai, and uh, this year year on year we're up on membership numbers, um, about 15%. So um, broadly speaking, Australian businesses are transacting and are finding a pathway to profitability in China. That's an interesting story. Okay. And so this has been a continuing trend over the last four years, increased members year on year. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, and, and I think that that's a representative of, of a broadening of the relationship. So I think if you look back 10 or 20 years, the, the Australia-China relationship in terms of trade was really focused on the, the mineral and resource piece. Right. Um, and we, we were playing um, in, in other sectors, so definitely in the, 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 the related financial services areas. But really what we've seen is um, this broadening of, of the relationship. So we're seeing food companies um, do wonderful things. We're seeing service companies do wonderful things, education, tourism. So there's, there's a lot more. Um, and so essentially it's widening the relationship. Right, and adding more value as well. So, it... I well, we like to think so. Absolutely, yeah. I think you, if you look at the Australian economy, largely speaking, we're, we're predominantly an SME economy. Right. So, from from numbers, not necessarily from from value. Yeah. Um, and so, our our membership is is um, so the beginning of this year was was sitting at about sixty five percent SME. So, right. I I think we are adding more value now to to the relationship through trade in non-traditional areas for our, uh, for our right. relationship with China. So in your view, is there a lot of activity going on with Australian business in China that folks in Australia like me and some of our listeners simply wouldn't be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, and I think this is, this is one of the challenges that we have because, um, broadly speaking, you know, Australian business in China is busy. So the, the you know, I, I I kind of see us as a barometer of, of, of Australian business success. So you join a chamber of commerce, and as much as this um, disheartens me, we're 100% discretional. So you only join if you see perceived value. And I like to think that we offer that through the support that we offer. But you only rejoin um, or renew your membership if, you, if you're firstly um, 
transacting in China or can find a pathway to profitability. And then the, 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 the value of, of, of service comes in later. So the fact that we're growing, I think, means that you are seeing a lot more brands and a lot of companies enter that are doing weird and wonderful things um, that isn't really widely reported. And unfortunately, um, as a bit of a media beat up, we tend to sort of gravitate towards the negative stories and not celebrate the successes in China. So um, absolutely, I think there's, there's, there's plenty of good stuff happening. Yeah. Can I jump quickly to that? Please. When you talk about some of the beat ups on negative stories, what comes to mind um, first and foremost about those negative stories that for you on the ground, you're just really not seeing? Well, well look, I think um, I'd say that the, the most obvious and the most consistent is, is Australia's um, at least a media obsession with China's slowdown or pending slowdown. And I think that's, that's one that for those of us that live in China and work in China, we, we just don't see it. So um, is there a change happening in the economy? Absolutely. But essentially what that means is um, what Australia does in China and what Australian businesses are able to do in China is changing. Um, and, and really the Chinese government outlined their, their intent. They wanted to move from an investment-driven economy to a consumption-based economy. And within that transition, we're seeing, we're seeing our consumption brands, our FMCG brands, our food brands really sort of take a, take a, a, a great advantage of that. So um, that one is probably the most consistent. Right. And I think that then leads to anything. If there's ever a story where there's, there's um, any sort of um, uh, change in business setup or presence of an Australian business in China, the media automatically jumps to say that it's a, um, a retreat from China as opposed to a change in right, situation right. or change in circumstance. Right, okay. So you mentioned one thing that's changing for Australian business in China is the nature of Chinese growth, moving mm-hmm. towards consumption services away from those more traditional drivers. Another big change we've had over the last two years is obviously the implementation of the China-Australia Free Trade Agreement. I'm very keen to get your thoughts on how that's being played out. We're sort of what approaching the two-year anniversary. Um, what's been the real success story of Chafter and what, um, what hasn't it delivered for Australian businesses and what, what needs to be done in the future? So we're, 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 um, we're big fans of, of the, the, the free trade agreement and I think that makes sense for a Chamber of Commerce. It was a, a long-fought and negotiated um, trade agreement but essentially it's a gold standard trade agreement. So for those people that don't know, um, essentially if China signs a better trade agreement with any other country, we, we revert to that, that standing. So that's unprecedented. And um, anecdotally, before I came down to Australia, I've, I've, I spoke to a, um, a former uh, Danish diplomat um, and, and she worked for the, the trade department, um, their trade department. And I said that I was coming down to, to Australia to talk about a, a few things, so e-commerce and a few other bits and pieces. And she said, you know, if you're talking to any group of Australian businesses, you should tell them they need to thank the federal government every day. I said, I don't know if you've been to Australia very often. I don't think that's very likely. <laughs> and, and her point, and, and she actually, she, she distilled it into one line. So she said, China as a market will continue to get bigger, but it won't ever get better for Australian business than it is now. Right. And her point around this is, Chapter is is a starting point. It's not the end mm. um, in terms of our our relationship and our negotiation with China. But there would be in excess of 120 countries in the world that are trying to vie for the standard and the relationship that we have now and the access that we have now mm. to the Chinese yeah. market. And it's ours at the moment to take advantage of. It will be a far crowded, far, far more crowded market once other countries are able to catch up with with where we're at. So. Um, 
we, we are we're big fans and we think the opportunity at the moment is 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 big right um where it's worked the, the tariffs were meaningful the tariff reductions mm-hmm. were meaningful um and they were staged in some categories over time as well so um, for some of those reductions, say for beef, um, off the top of my head, it was either nine years or 12 years for the reduction of, of tariffs around beef. So um, I think it was nine years. You know, that, that that's meaningful, but it wasn't an immediate change. What I think was more of a driver or continue to be more of a driver for Australian business is the fact that the market's so big. So right. they see market opportunity. Yeah. The tariffs potentially were a barrier, but potentially they, they weren't an obvious barrier to, to business. Um, but I think... More meaningful than that is the way that China's responded to the agreement in Chinese business. So Chinese have a, a, an incredible respect for government and Chafter essentially was an endorsement of doing business with Australia. Right, that's very interesting. So we, we have this, this essentially this statement of support right. for transacting and investing and, and, and um, cooperating and doing business with Australia and I think that's what's been really meaningful. So it's, it's brought China to the table more so than it had been and Chinese business. So I think we've we've just seen interest in Australian brands and Australia as a destination full stop increase. Got it. Okay. <clears throat> so that's a good story. Mm. Let's flip it now okay. and talk about what that implies for the challenges as well, because something's immediately coming to my mind. Um, <clears throat> what happens if the Australian government does something um, in whatever sphere, say in the South China Sea, for example, that the Chinese government doesn't like... Mm. Um, is there a potential for the Chinese government to make some statements and suddenly Chinese consumers lose their interest in Australia? I mean, I guess I'm exaggerating there, but that's the direction I'd like to head in. I was wondering if you've got any views on that. Look, and it's it's one, so our our mandate is trade and investment, like I said, so we don't play in the the political space and the the geopolitical space. Having said that, we are aware... um, and, and we've said as much, we, we made a submission to, to the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade in their, uh, their open submission earlier in the year. When, when the Australian government comments publicly around sensitive areas for, for, for China and Chinese government, it does have an impact or it can have an impact on Australian business on the ground in China. And some of the isolated examples that we've seen is potentially um, stock or product being delayed at the, the at customs right. um, or on the port. So they're challenges that as a Chamber of Commerce and, and as, as the peak body for Australian business, we would prefer not to see. Yeah. And so is there potential for that to be damaging for business? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so I guess our role is there to continue to say that yeah. um, and, and, and try and make sure that that message is, is, is very clear to... to um, stakeholders in Australia, that that what we say publicly does matter. It it does have an effect. Okay. Mm. Do you have any thoughts about how the Australian government might put its case um, around issues that are quite reasonable, such as, you know, uh, we want Mm. um, China to follow international law in the Mm. South China Sea? That's a point that I don't think is unreasonable for Mm. the Australian government to make. Now, at the same time, it can have blowback for Australian businesses in China. Do you have any thoughts around how the Australian government practically should handle that? Because I'm sure the Australian government's also, they don't want to create blowback for Australian businesses in China either, but they've also got an overarching issue here that's probably even more important, um, a commitment to a rules-based order rather than just the specific interests of Australian businesses. So so I, again, in our role, we we are trade and investment focused. We also have very close relationships with with the the Australian government and different different departments within the the Australia-China landscape. Um, I think across the board, they do a very good job. Um, I think potentially the comment that I would make is that the traditional dialogue that's, that's done publicly is 
probably not the right way of, of, of addressing um, issues like that, specifically when it comes to China. So I think the, the, it is very much relationship-based. And so I think you know, as, if you extrapolate any sort of experience out from, from just doing business in China, I think very much um, it's one of, those, one of those things that uh, individual conversations and not necessarily public conversations are, okay. are a better pathway full stop. But again, I, I think the Australian government, from our view, takes the China relationship very seriously. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I I wouldn't want to comment any more than that because I'm, sure. I'm getting out so of overall, our, 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 I'm sure. getting out of our realm of concentration or focus. Yeah, and sure. And just before you mentioned that, in your view, the, the free trade agreement, which obviously the federal government drove, is a, is a, is a, is a very good agreement. Okay, can I move now to to a slightly different topic, and that is. Um, relating to changes on the ground in China for foreign businesses in recent times, I mean, certainly as, a, as an observer, um, I've noticed a whole swathe of stories come out over the last 12, 18 months this, that say it's got a lot tougher for foreign businesses mm. in China. Um, particularly, this is coming from the American Chamber of Commerce and the European Chamber of Commerce. Um, can you tell me about it from an Australian business perspective? Uh, have there been changes... So, what are those what are those yeah, changes been? So, I think this is a really interesting question, and, and we we do get asked this, and I guess that there's there's a, a general assumption that that um, all business is the same, all foreign business or international business in China is the same, and, and I think the the um, the part of that that I would note is that our relationship with China is 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 very different to to um, say the American experience and to the European experience. So. Um, Largely speaking, ours is a trade-focused um, relationship. So we, we, we trade product into China. Um, and because of that, we, we largely, um, as, a, as a country, have, have a, a, only a few examples of investment that we can actually point to, to say, or significant investment into China that we can point to. Because of that, I think automatically you're talking about different things. Right. So I think if you compare it to the, say, the American um, examples or the American experience in China, you've got... Um, very large businesses that are making that have made or are making very large investments into China in industries that are hyper competitive and experiencing a lot of change at the moment as well. So I, I think to say that, that it's it's a um, a one dimensional issue for these for, for, for those companies and for those countries is probably not understanding the entire situation. So you've okay. got you know things like technology, you've got industries like automotive that we, we simply don't really play in in mm-hmm. China. So when people ask us that question, the reality is actually the vast majority of our business exposure and the vast majority of what our members tell us is despite any regulation change or policy change, there's more coming and they're, and they're transacting. Right. They're, 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 they're profitable in China. So we don't necessarily share that view. Okay, okay. Right. One thing that's a very specific issue that's come up um, in relation to foreign business recently is this whole issue around VPN access, um, you know, tighter controls with the, you know, under Xi Jinping of the internet in China. Mm. Certainly it's been talked about in the context of American business and European businesses. It's a big concern for mm. them. Um, what can you tell us about that? You're on the ground. Um, what have you been seeing? So the the policy is um, yet to be formally um, implemented. And I, I guess, again, the, the nature of our businesses are probably less reliant on uh, VPNs than, than say the Europeans and the Americans. So, um, from from our membership, it hasn't really been an issue that that's that's been um, brought to our attention all that often. Um, I think 
the the reality is is once it's once it's implemented, I guess that's that's when we'll we'll, we'll see if it does have an effect on, right. on Australian business. But broadly speaking, it doesn't seem to be something that's 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 worrying the the the, the Australian business community in China. Mm, okay. Well, we know that Australia's exported a lot of iron ore to China. Um, we also know that we're doing pretty well in the ag space and increasingly the services space, particularly in Shanghai, where you're based. Um, what are some other new? Uh, what what is what's new in the Australia-China relationship that you're seeing on the ground that uh, we, our folks in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane might not have heard about? Yeah. So I think we are fortunate in the position that we're in. We 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 get to see. I guess new new um, industries or new sectors or new trends that that are that are happening domestically in China. I think that there's a there's a few that I would point to around um, uh, aviation is an interesting one in terms of, of capacity building for China and what's happening domestically on the ground. I think finally we're seeing some some traction in terms of the medical wellness and health space um, with a. Um, CSL Bearings recent acquisition of a, a stake in a, a Chinese company, and and they're operating in the the, the plasma space in uh, in China. And then I think really I'd, I'd say the ultimate, I shouldn't say surprise, but one that that did take us a little bit unawares in terms of the traction that it's received. And this is probably over the last eighteen months is sport in China. So we um, we we had identified it as a growth sector for Australia, but. Um, I guess we, we probably underestimated the traction that it was going to get. So we um, actually, because of that, have, have seen, uh, I'm sure there was a lot of fanfare in Australia around the AFL game mm, played yeah. against Port Adelaide and uh, and the Gold Coast Suns in May. But we're, we're seeing all manner of sports and sports-related businesses start to transact in China or start to form really quite sophisticated strategy for China um, and finding, again, a pathway to, to either... Um, commercial outcomes um, or, or to, to um, broaden their market. So we're actually hosting a sports summit in, uh, in Shanghai. Um, so it's the inaugural Australia-China Sports Summit. And it's going to be on the, the 16th and 17th of, uh, of, of October. Um, and really the focus is around um, trying to unpack this a little bit more. So what does this mean to Australia longer term? Obviously sport touches us in a, in a very deep way in Australia. Particularly as Queenslanders uh, exactly. um, continuously winning the state of origin. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we are yet to, yet to make sure that uh, Mal Meninga makes an appearance. I think it'll be a hit in China. But um, I, it, it, is, it is interesting because essentially you've got very traditional sports in China and then you've got sports that are non-traditional but are very... Um, deeply entwined in terms of the, the the corporate fabric and social fabric of Australia. So, what are the motivations for different different sports? Um, how is it aligned with central government policy in China? What effect does uh, a sport being an Olympic sport and China's ambition to be competitive globally right. have on individual mm-hmm. sports? Um, and then really about the business of sports. So, how does Australia potentially help improve the level of sport or standard of sport in China? Um, what what does broadcasting look like? What is what is the you know the the, the digital revolution in China look like, and how yeah. can that affect? And then sports technology as well. One of the things that we're we're learning very quickly, identifying very quickly in this space is that Australia produces pound for pound incredible sports technology, so right. wearables and, and and bits and pieces that are affiliated with sport. But we have a small market in yes. which to commercialise. So. Ah. Um, China's hungry for IP and hungry for, for that commercialisation opportunity and obviously has a larger market. So there's there's opportunity not necessarily just in the sports arena but also on the periphery. So we're, we're really excited about um, about the, the, the summit and getting a little bit deeper into the topics. So we've heard of fintech before, we've heard of health tech, we haven't heard of sports tech there yet, but this is an area. You heard it here <laughs> you first. You heard it here on the ACRI podcast, <laughs> wonderful. Okay, Udo, I might just finish off with one question now. and I guess it's a big picture question. That is, 
you know, what, what do we need to do or what would you like to see happen um, that really, in your view, would take Australia, China trade and investment relationship to the next level? What, what prompts me to ask this question is I read an interesting piece recently um, that made the claim that um, Australia's relationship with America, um, a lot of the good things that happen in that space, are based on shared values, commitment to liberal democracy, rule of law, um, limited state interference, these sorts of things. Now, clearly, in the China relationship, they, all of those areas are challenging. They're, they're points of difference, not points of similarity. Mm. Um, so given those constraints, um, how far can this relationship go? I mean, is it, is it stunted? Is it destined to be restricted because of those factors? Um, or are there... Or is it already progressing quite nicely, even with those challenges in place? And what might we do to t- to take it to another level? A big question. I yeah, know. an easy question. There you go. Well, I, so so I'm. I preface this by saying that the the chamber plays a role, but I guess also as as my role as CEO of the chamber, I'm a China bull, and and deeply committed to the relationship. But I guess you you, we also like to think that we're pragmatic. So there's there's certainly work to be done. And, and, and the relationship by no means is, is, is there yet. We're not at a finish point. Um, do we see positive signs? Um, absolutely. And I think our relationship really has been founded on people-to-people um, relationships and, and, and that has, has, has really sort of developed into other areas. So the, the fact that we've got complementary um, uh, economies has really helped us. But, but establishing diplomatic relations when we did, I think it really stands us in good stead and then I think we have a lot of, of similarities that don't often get spoken about. And uh, one that I think is, is, is really off, uh, obvious, but we, we, as Aussies, we like doing business with people that we like. And that's a very Chinese trade as well. Right, right. And then I'd suggest the next one is that, that Australia is a, is a country of foodies and, and China is obsessed with food. And so I think if you, you, you know, we, we, we tend to talk about these big sort of almost philosophical ideas around the commonality that we have with different countries and we miss the really basic ones that right. we have with China. Right. So I think, I think we, we do start from a, um, probably a, a closer point than, than a lot of people realise. Interesting. The, the, what can we do to make this better? I think, I think one of the things that unfortunately we're not seeing enough of is young Aussies um, spending time in China. And spending time not only learning the language, and I think that's a really important part of it, but also trying to, to gain some China experience and build those one-on-one personal relations relationships. And so as part of that, that um, white paper submission that we made to, to DFAT, we actually, th- that was one of the requests that we had in terms of, or, or suggestions that we had. The French had been able to negotiate a, a, a program, very aptly named 1,000 Interns, and um, it provides them with the access to send 1,000 interns um, from France into China every year um, and, uh, and and provide that sort of an opportunity. So it's a work internship, but it's also a language internship and you've got that component. And I think that, that over time really does build um, uh, solid relationships and, and, and business relationships. I think that's that's one of the really important things. Um, not a quick return, but, but something that does stand you in good stead longer term. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the, the, the other um, element that, that we probably don't, um, we don't recognise it, and I think there's a lot of um, there seems to be two broad camps in the media, and one is um, looking for for that slowdown in China, and the other is jumping on um, the lack of traction that Australian business has in China. And I think what we miss in all of that is the the, the success that companies, excuse me, are already having in China, and um, 
and the fact that those that have had that success are so willing to share their experiences and those that have had those failures as well are so willing to share their experiences and so that that really is something that has struck me with the the the, the business people that we deal with from australia in china they um they're really generous with their experience they're generous with their relationships they're generous with their advice because they want to see australian businesses succeed and they want to see chinese businesses succeed in australia right. as well and i think that's something that doesn't often get spoken about again it sounds a little bit altruistic but um, there's plenty of people and within our chamber at the moment there's 400 corporate members um, and they're all doing wonderful work and they don't see australian businesses as competitors to them right right so they the market is big yep. and and so mm. i think an opportunity of, of building that that those relationships i think is really meaningful um and then i think continuing on in terms of, of seeking further access for for australian produce and product into china i think that's something that as i mentioned earlier i think the the chapter is a wonderful thing but it's not the end point it's a starting point in the dialogue so things to do with non-tariff barriers um and issues around those but then also that access issue um they're, they're really important things that we continue to work on. I think we're in a really good place to be able to continue the dialogue, but you've got to make sure that we maintain focus in that. Perfect. Udo, thank you. That was absolutely fascinating. Oh, thank you very um, much. It's good to have someone on the ground in Shanghai, particularly you know, um, focused on Australian business there, um, given that what Australian business is doing and the challenges that it faces uh, may not be the same as some of the other foreign chambers of commerce in China. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And hopefully we can come back and, and give you an update in the in the new year. Absolutely. So just a reminder to our listeners that um, Ostcham in Shanghai is hosting a two-day sports summit in Shanghai on October the 16th and 17th. Um, they'll be bringing together industry leaders from China and Australia to talk all things Australia-China sport. Interested listeners can register via their website, which is ostchamshanghai.com. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the Acri podcast on iTunes. Our next episode will feature our very own Acri researcher, Simone van Nivenhazen, who will discuss her new book titled China and the New Maoists. That book's co-authored with Kerry Brown, who many of our listeners will know was the former director of the China Studies Centre at the University of Sydney. It's a book that discusses the Chinese Communist Party's complex, to say the least, relationship with Mao Zedong in contemporary China. Find out more about ACRI's research and events on our website, australiachinarelations.org. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at ACRI underscore UTS. Thanks for listening.